everyone. Welcome to this special episode of We Are PR. I'm Julie, Associate Director, and I head up Brewster's Consumer and Lifestyle Portfolio. I'm joined by Susie Redding, psychologist and all-round wellbeing guru. Hi, Julie. So we know you as a chartered psychologist and wellbeing and sleep expert for our work with you for premium uh, mattress client Temper. But for the less familiar, can you share a bit more about your background? Sure. Okay, so I'm a psychologist. I'm also a yoga teacher and I spent a decade of my, well, the first chapter of my professional career working as a personal trainer. So all of those different modalities draw themselves beautifully together to empower people with the tools of self-care. But it's not just qualifications. Um, It was my life experience of motherhood colliding with the terminal illness of my father that really makes... um, self-care and nourishing practices, um, a personal personal passion of mine. Okay, so what was your personal self-care breakthrough moment? The moment that you realised you'd cracked the case? And did you have one or is it a constant work in progress? Oh, do you know what? It is a constant work in progress. <laughs> really, do you know, my, my self-care journey really began in that chapter when I was becoming a mum at the same time as, as my dad being really ill. That was actually the first time I'd heard the phrase self-care, which in hindsight, you know, blows me away because with, a, you know, my psychology degree, that was six years at uni, but I'd never heard the phrase or that concept mentioned. But it was when I was working with a postnatal depression counsellor and she said to me, what's in your self-care toolkit? And I said, oh gosh, what a great phrase. And it's not like I didn't have a good relationship with self-care, you know, as a, as a, health coach and yoga teacher this is something I was really passionate about but in that chapter of my life there were so many things that I would normally do to nourish myself that became completely inaccessible in that chapter and I think that's something that we all understand now having lived and in the you know in the midst of this global pandemic um, we can't take care of ourselves as we normally would because of restrictions or you know everyday squeeze you don't have the same space you don't have the same time the same energy the same funds so that's really where my journey began and I would say hand on heart that the learning has been constant ever since and that's fine because you know life keeps happening doesn't it (laughs) and I think our toolkit has to keep evolving in response to our changing needs and preferences yeah I mean I can certainly relate as you know when you become a parent kind of any kind of self-care goes out the window it's all about the child and then if you're dealing with grief on top of that it's just you know it's impossible so you mentioned obviously we're we're not long ago past the threshold of a year kind of working from home and lockdown and restrictions so how have you managed during that time to keep yourself hopeful optimistic and motivated well I would preface all of my tips with me being honest and saying I was not hopeful and full of zest and optimistic the whole the whole time there were times when you know I, I felt energetically drained and teary and resentful and all of that and I think it's really important that we give ourselves um, the time and space to feel our feelings because it was a tough time and it still is a tough time and even as we emerge from lockdown it, it has its own unique challenges but having had that experience of energetic bankruptcy when I became a mum I never, ever, ever want to wind up in that state again. So it was about tailoring nourishing practices. So 
for example, the kind of things that I would do, you know, pre-COVID, pre-COVID life, I would go for um, either a long walk or a short jog in the mornings. That, with two kids at home, homeschooling, that went out the window. But I made sure that every afternoon, once we'd done the home learning, we went out into nature's beauty and we got some exercise together. So it wasn't the same kind of workout for me, it wasn't the same headspace, but it still met our needs. Another example would be, didn't have time to roll out my yoga mat and do a dedicated practice, but every single day I did some yoga, whether it was um, a single po pose while I was waiting for the kettle to boil, or maybe when the kids were in the bath, I'd get down on the floor and do a pigeon pose or just a child's pose before bed. You know, there's always a way that we can make it accessible. It just might need to be in a different shape or a different form. So it's about getting creative. But what I would say there is it can be very hard to be creative and resourceful when you're feeling brain fried. So that's why we need it spelt out. And that's why I've written so many books on self-care and I give so many tips and tools on my Instagram feed because we literally need it on a plate. That's what I needed when I was in that state. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that nourishment feels a little bit more accessible for people now. That brings me on to the next question, which was if you have any specific tips for people struggling with enduring pandemic stress or anxiety, as we, even as we head into this new chapter, are there things that people can do to improve their everyday outlook? Definitely. I think the shape that that will take or, or how that manifests will be really individual. So what I would encourage people to think about is what, what do you need to feel safe and healthy? Yeah. And, and how can you reclaim that as restrictions start to, to be, be dialed back? I think there are some things that are common for everybody. I call them the energy bank basics. So if we just mention those briefly, this is all really intuitive stuff, but it's things like good nutrition, good hydration, movement, but not just movement for rippling abs and toned thighs. I'm talking about moving for mental health moving for access to a sense of humour, you know, move, moving for our mood. Um, sleep is another big one. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that there are so many variables that we were in the midst of during lockdown that interfered with our ability to sleep. But hopefully, as life resumes greater fullness, uh, we're able to move more, we're less sedentary, there's less um, screen time, there's more daylight featuring in our day. Hopefully, good sleep will resume. But if it's been hard to come by, you're certainly not alone. Other things, being in nature, and I think one of the biggest ones that we've been deprived of is social connection. But we've got to pace ourselves, don't we? It's interesting as, as, as lockdown dials back, what I'm hearing is that people are saying there's a sense of kind of sensory overload. Like we want to go out and do things, but at the same time, they can be really depleting. So I think we just need to pace ourselves. Yeah, and make sure that there's there's plenty of time for restorative, soothing practices because anxiety has been running high, stress has been running high for over a year now, and we're also dealing with collective grief, aren't we? And I suppose while, you know, while it's refreshing and exciting to have those kind of opportunities to meet up again, as soon as your, your calendar starts getting booked up, that could be a different type of stress. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I suppose we just need to give ourselves permission to say no to some things or, you know, curtail them to a certain degree. So obviously you're an Australian and in the World Happiness Reports, Australians consistently rank as happier than Brits. 
So do you think Brits can learn from the lifestyles of Down Under? Do you know, having lived in both countries, I, I have an understanding of, of what it's like in terms of environment. And I can remember, I used to work in a gym in London, and I can remember people saying, how on earth are you so chipper? What, what's, what's with that? <laughs> and do you know what? I think a certain extent of that is, is being raised in a beautiful, sunny climate where it's really easy to replenish. So it's not that Brits are not good at taking care of themselves. I think it's just genuinely a tougher environment to navigate. So if you take a look at what the environment facilitates in Australia, it's easier to be out and about moving in nature's beauty. There's no lack of nature's beauty here in the UK. It's just we've got to get prepared. Make sure you've got the hiking boots. Make sure you've got the, the layers and get out there and enjoy it, even in hibernation mode, because that's real too, isn't it? You know, that's it's kind of it's hardwired. You get less daylight. We don't have the same abundance of energy in these wintry months, but it's recognising the importance of it and prioritising it. Absolutely. No, I agree. It's it's harder, but it's, you know, there's no such thing. I think it's a Swedish saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yes, <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> um, so what what is it about the UK that you love that meant that you came, you saw and you committed? Oh, I love this question. Actually, it's really funny. So I've had two different chapters in the UK. I originally came for a two-month holiday and accidentally stayed for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> My father was English, so I've always felt a deep affinity with this country. I have really joyful childhood memories of visiting his family and touring the countryside. And when I first arrived, gosh, I can't even remember, probably two decades ago now, I did an amazing amount of travelling. And it's such a beautiful country. You know, my, my brothers and I, we, we drive up to Scotland for a weekend, which is just nuts. No one does that. But in Australia, you've got to drive 12 hours to leave, you know, the state that you live in. So, you know, it wasn't so unusual. But we did move back to Australia in, in, in between. And I thought that would be forever. And after five years, we ended up back here. But it was a function of just being led by life. I mean, I wanted to go back to Australia to spend a chapter with my parents, given that I'd never intended to leave. Um, but we ended up moving back to the UK because my father-in-law was really unwell. And having had the blessing of being with my dad for his last chapter, um, I wanted my husband to have the same. And I've lost count of how many years it's been. It must be my little boy is now six and I was pregnant with him when we moved back here. So it's coming up for seven years. Wow, it's amazing. There are, there are joys in both places. It's funny, when I'm living in, when I'm in Australia, I, I almost can't imagine being anywhere else. But when I'm here, equally, I can't imagine life there. It's, it's about sucking the life out of, out of the joy that's right in front of you, isn't it, Julie? Absolutely, and, and I, I have a very similar kind of um, setup. So I'm, I'm married to a Spaniard and um, we lived in Spain for four years. And again, it was kind of family illness and issues that kind of helped us decide whereabouts we, we were moving around to. But then, yeah, there's, there's so much to love about Spain, but whilst I was there, and I, and I shock myself um, in this, that I was missing London and I was missing kind of cozy pub culture. And, and then when you're back here, you miss the street life and the, and the terraces and the sunshine. So yeah, it's, it's a shame, isn't it, that we, 
we only see the good things once once we've moved on from them. <laughs> that's all something that we need to we need to work on. And there's lots to love about. There's certainly lots to love about the UK. Oh, absolutely. Lots to savor. So now we're kind of in this continued scenario of working from home for a little while longer um, and with the prospect of going back to the office and that kind of busy, hectic life again. What would you recommend for listeners um, in terms of, of maintaining and reclaiming kind of your own headspace and time, you know, making sure you have breaks from the screen and from that, that work pressure? Beautiful question. Um, I think what this comes back to is a sense of energy management. So if anyone's feeling guilty for taking a break or feeling like I've got to clear my to-do list before I can have some downtime, well, I just want to offer up some really simple, practical suggestions that help us reclaim a little time for us that will boost our productivity, boost our concentration and boost our well-being at the same time. Yeah. So, Julie, are you ready to get physical? <laughs> Can we get Maybe. practical? <laughs> Let's do okay. it. So I'm thinking about all of this time that we spend in front of screens. We carry an awful lot of tension in the face, in the eyes in particular. So I just want to offer up a suggestion that will help essentially rest our senses. And how nice does that sound? Rest your senses. So if you, I'm wearing glasses. We need to take our glasses off for this because right, we're mine, mine are coming off practice called eye palming. Okay. It's a yoga practice. What we need to do is rub our hands together first. Uh, and if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you might need to rub them together for a little while because this is to create heat. <laughs> so rub your hands together vigorously to create a sense of warmth. And then we're going to place the palm, not fingertips, the palms over the eye socket, the whole eye area. And let your fingertips just gently curve over the top of your head. Enjoy the absence of stimulation for your eyes. Feel the warmth penetrate the eye socket and just take a couple of calm relaxed breaths here there's nothing to be done there is nothing required of you right now just resting your senses okay and then release your hands and it's a lovely little micro break yeah we're giving ourselves permission to down tools glasses back on I can think straight again now <laughs> should we do another one Julie yeah absolutely okay so that that's eye palming another one along similar lines to just to soothe mental tension and to um, alleviate screen fatigue really simply do some green gazing so you don't even have to get up from your desk although I would suggest it's a really good idea to get up and the guidelines there are we need to get up every 30 minutes and move yeah, that's the guideline for, for our health. If you can, get yourself to a window or even better, go outside, get a little bit of daylight and do some green gazing where you look at, ideally in the distance, the green um, leaves of trees or whatever nature you can find, just so that we're not constantly um, relying on our close-up vision. So look into the distance and it's the, it's the movement of the canopy of trees that's very, very soothing. A bit of nature therapy. It's free. It's easily accessible. 
and it's it's really powerful. So that's another little micro break. So this next one would be an alternative to caffeine after midday. You know, we get that very real, it's called post-lunch dip in arousal. Yeah, you get that post-lunch slump in energy. And that's where we're either turning to another coffee or a bit of a sugar hit. Here's the suggestion that your adrenals will thank you for taking. It's called the mountain breath. So in our mountain breath, ideally you would do it standing, but you can do it sitting down. With the mountain breath, what we're gonna do is move our arms in time with our breathing. Start with your arms down by your sides and standing or sitting tall. Now, as you breathe in, you reach your arms out to the sides, up above your head, look up, because that lifts your mood. And as you exhale, slowly lower your arms back down by your sides and look forwards. Do that twice more. Breathing in, raising the arms out and up, looking up to your palms, touching, exhaling, slowly lowering the arms back down. And one last time, raising the arms out and up, look up. And nice long breath out and the arms descend. You know, hopefully the listeners are doing this with us because it opens opens up everything and feels great on the shoulders. So it does. It, I mean, it, it doesn't look like it's much, but it's much, much more than just waving your arms around with your breath. Yeah, it's it's releasing stress and tension, as you identify, Julie, in the, in the chest and the shoulders. And, and the mantra there is pain makes you grinchy. Yeah. So let's breathe better to feel better. There's the other mantra. And it draws you into that tall upright posture that naturally connects you with a feeling of zest and optimism. You asked me earlier about how I found my hope. I found it in my mountain breaths. And I hope that others will find the same sustenance there. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Susie, for all your tips and insights and positivity. So as we look forward to the 21st of June, uh, fingers crossed that that is the, the date. I suppose it's we just need to focus uh, focus on maintaining a balance, you know, through this transition and making sure that we continue to, to nourish ourselves, look after ourselves and focus on that self-care as we kind of go back to the, the old normal. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. It's been a joy. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on all good podcasting platforms and you can find more about what Rooster's up to day to day on rooster.co.uk or across Rooster's social channels. To find out more about Susie's brilliant work, visit susiereading.co.uk.